0: And we are going to be in Acts chapter 27 and sneaking into 28. We have two more weeks in, in the book of Acts. And in these last uh, few messages and really throughout all of it, we've tried, to, um, we've tried to kind of center around this theme and this idea that, that the book of Acts is, is really our story too. The book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the body of Christ as they become the church. They become the body of Christ, um, set on on a city on a hill, set so that the world would see them and glorify their father in heaven to continue the ministry of Jesus. And so when we read Acts, it's important to remember that this is not some ancient book that we can kind of maybe grab a couple of things from. It really is the beginning of our story. And that what we see in the book of Acts should not actually seem all that foreign to us. Obviously, there are different um, cultural uh, settings. There's obviously it's uh, different geographical settings, different political, socioeconomic settings, all these different things that, that play into it. But the core of the book of Acts is that it is our story. It is the story of God's people being formed into the body of Christ and being sent to the world to display and declare and demonstrate the glory of our King. And so we should read the book of Acts and we should see far more similarities than differences. And we've confessed over the course of this past year that that hasn't always been the case, that sometimes we read things in the book of Acts and it feels far, um, far more dissimilar than similar to our context. And I would say that that, that should stir in our hearts a desire to see God work in these mighty ways to remember that this is who God is and this is what he has called us to and the last few weeks we've really gotten pretty practical of what it looks like as Paul is nearing the end as we near the end of the book of Acts and we believe, certainly, Paul, his ministry kind of winding down, that he's eventually um, headed, headed for the end of his life, that we don't see exactly when that happens. But, um, but as we see that, we start to take some of these lessons from his life and his ministry, and we remind ourselves that, um, that Paul's life and the ministry that he had and the life that he lives is far more similar to us than we often realize. And so we talked about um, Paul and, and how he chose to go down hard roads. And we talked about what that looks like in our life Just say, what does it look like to choose hard roads and to believe that, that we serve a king who is worthy. We've, we've talked about what it looks like to have faithfulness as we looked at Paul's faithfulness along that difficult road. And we talked about what that then looks like in our own lives. Like how do we demonstrate faithfulness? How do we stay and remain faithful on the hard roads that we find ourselves on. But today we're going to see how God's faithfulness is on display through the ministry of Paul. How God has called him not on this road just for the sake of having a difficult road and not even so that he himself would grow in the fruit of the Spirit and grow in abiding in Christ, but so that he would be prepared to minister to others with the gospel. And we find that that is the same calling that we have as well. That the reality is that if God has saved you, we've talked about this, that God saved you for a purpose. It's not just so that you would grow in Christlikeness, but that your growth in Christlikeness would be a blessing to others. That through you, the nations may be blessed. That through you, God would reach his people. many of you are involved right now in in ministry that you never thought you would be. And I know many of you are involved in ministry that you never thought you would be because every week we hear the stories. Every week we hear the stories of, of you finding yourself in situations where you're saying, okay, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how like why God is presenting me with this opportunity, but I know that this is where he's placed me and he has called me to serve. And you are going down roads of loving people, serving people, and seeing your life in a completely different way. And that is really our desire for all of you. that If you are a follower of Jesus, that you would find yourself on a daily basis or certainly a weekly basis where you find yourself kind of in over your head, overwhelmed a little bit maybe with the ministry that God has given you and that you would be, that that would grow a dependency on the spirit, a desire, a deep desire to be here with one another, to share stories with one another, to share the joys, to share the pain and the sorrow and the difficulties, to encourage one another, to be ministered to by one another. Because we are God's family on mission. That's our identity statement, if you haven't heard that for a while. We are God's family on mission. We are created by God and for God. We are formed as a family, and we are sent on mission together. That is the call of Christ. And as we go, God sanctifies us even through the mission. We aren't perfected and then sent It's a common misconception in the life of of a Christian is we think like, okay, well now I've come to Christ. Now I need to grow and learn all the things and be equipped in all the ways and then I can be useful to go. But that's not how God does it. He sends you and then he equips you along the way. There's a famous saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And it's one of those cutesy phrases that sometimes annoy me, but they can be helpful. Like God doesn't wait for you to be fully formed and figure everything out, and then He's going to send you. He sends you, and in your going, He sanctifies you and equips you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, He who calls you is faithful, He will surely do it. And in this section, we see the God who is faithful who carries, brings about his purposes and his plans in and through the life of Paul in spite of all kinds of circumstances. Let's pause and pray. Father, help us as we look at this chapter, as we look at the life and the ministry of Paul. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we look at your word and we think that it isn't really relevant to us, that it really isn't talking about us, it's talking about super Christians in a different time where where miraculous things happened and and that now we live in a a different time where things are much more subtle. God, forgive us. Help us to see in the life and the ministry of Paul, our brother. And mostly, Lord, let us see you let us see that it is your work, it is your plans, it is your purposes, it is your power that we might realize that that same power resides in us, in the Holy Spirit. Help us in Jesus' name, amen. Remember, the context of what's going on here is that Paul's situation is that he is, he is weak, He is in the position of weakness here. Nobody would look at Paul's situation and say that, that he was in the power or position of influence. And that right off the bat is something that we just need to have as a context because one of the big things that the enemy will use to distract you from ministry is to convince you that you don't have a position to do whatever it is that he's calling you to do. That you don't have the, the kind of influence that you need to have. But you need to understand that in Scripture, God most often uses people from a position of weakness. And in fact, most of the time, the, the, when people have positions of power, that's when they are corrupted. That is when they actually fall away from God. It is most often when God chooses the person that no one else would choose. And that is certainly the situation that Paul is in. Because who would have thought Paul would have influence with the Gentiles? Who would have thought Paul would have influence with Caesar? And yet here he is. And so he has appealed to Caesar and they, they let him go. They send him to Caesar. And they, in verses 1 through 8 we just see that they send Paul to Rome and they put him on a ship. And Paul is treated kindly um, during this time, if you look at verse 3 in chapter 27, it says, The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And so again, just as a reminder that in Paul's position of weakness, he is also displaying consistently the fruit of the Spirit. He's not getting agitated with his imprisoners. He's not getting um, argumentative with them. He does not look at them as his enemy But he knows that he is where God has him, and so he is at peace. He is filled with peace and joy and hope and love, and people respond to it, and they treat him kindly. But on this ship, things don't go according to their plans. And the winds are against them and so they go much more slowly and that's going to end up taking them into winter. In verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than than to what Paul said. Which, by the way, can we just say that's pretty reasonable? Like, I just always have found this interesting. I'm very excited. There are certain things that have been written in Scripture that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the author, like, hey, tell me about this. Like, what was this all about? This is one of them. I'm going to ask Luke, be like, hey, did you think they should listen to the prisoner over the owner of the ship and the captain of the ship? That seems unreasonable. So whatever, that's what they do. They, they, the centurion pays more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, and so would I have. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter... You know what? Here's what's interesting about that to me. I, I think it's crazy sometimes that we, we find it so frustrating that people don't listen to us when we tell them about who Jesus is. Of course they don't believe you. Like, of course they're not going to listen to that. Of course when the world says, well, we think this is the right thing, and we say, yeah, but that's dishonoring to God, and they say, well, Who cares? Because what makes sense to the world and what makes sense to them is not always what makes sense in Scripture and what makes sense when we are living for a king. And so just by the way, don't be surprised and offended when people don't listen to you. When they take the advice of of other experts um, in, in other situations. I deal with this all the time, like with counseling and with other stuff. When people take the advice of other experts, and I'm like, yeah, but God's word says this. Well, if they're not a follower of Jesus, then I, I shouldn't be surprised that, of course, they're going to take um, the advice of, of an expert. All right, back, back to our theme. Verse 12. And Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. Facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they thought that they were going to make it. They had a plan. They knew that they couldn't spend winter where they were going, where they, um, where Paul was even recommending. But they, they, um, they try to make it. They're going to try to make it to Phoenix, and they thought they had it. But then a big wind comes down um, from the land, and it, it knocks them off course. And what we're going to see in in this now is is the ways that God puts his faithfulness on display in the ministry of Paul here. And what I'm hoping is that as you see how God is working here, that the things that we're going to pull out of that are things that apply to us today. Whatever ministry road you are on, wherever you find yourself, the things that God does for Paul are actually the same things that he does for you and me today. And the first thing that God does for Paul in demonstrating his faithfulness is that we see that God has gone before Paul. God has already prepared the way and has already, we we talk about this phrase of God goes before us. And what we mean by that is simply that God has already planned out everything. God has already walked this road. And we're going to see that here. Verse 18. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So what's going on here is Paul has warned them, and they, they don't listen to him. Instead, they go about doing what makes sense to them, but it doesn't work. And they get to a place where they have resigned themselves that they are going to be lost at sea and they're going to die. This just gets mentioned in one little verse, but you, we need to like understand from their point of view the despair that they are feeling at this point. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope. There's no like, well, but if we could just do this, if we could just do, like it is gone. They had done everything that they could think of to do, and they had failed. But God has already told Paul what would happen. And so Paul has not abandoned all hope, because God has already told him what's going to happen, and so Paul shares it with them. Verse 21 Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. What a great I told you so moment. (laughs) He just couldn't let that go. Just like, yet now I urge you to take heart, which is a really great word. It's talking about like being encouraged. Like do not be afraid. Take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And similarly to what happens earlier, they don't really know what to do with it. They don't really believe him, but they're also desperate and they have no other hope. But Paul believes God. So let me just like a little side thing that when you are on this road of ministry, even when others don't believe you and like what you're trying to disciple them in or the road you're trying to help them down or the way you're trying to serve them, even if they don't believe you, That is of no concern to you. You believe God. You trust God. Don't let other people's lack of faith deter you from trusting God. It's not to say like reject wisdom and biblical counsel. I'm talking about those who either don't know Jesus or whose faith is weak in a given moment. Here's the thing. We're all going to be in a situation where sometimes we're the stronger ones in faith and sometimes we're the weaker ones in faith. There have been times in my ministry here where I've had to cling to this and say, God, I know what you're doing here and I need to believe you even though there are people around me that don't see it and don't believe me. I need to believe you. And then there have been other times where people have had to help me, like where I'm like clinging to their faith and saying like, okay, God, I'm struggling to have faith in this moment, but I, I trust you through them. And so we can lift one another up. That's what we're meant to do. What we often do is when we doubt is we, we often let that kind of overcome us and then we let that be the influence. And I just want to encourage you that when you are feeling weak in your faith, don't be afraid. Don't shame yourself over it. This is our constant journey. It's one of the reasons why we need one another. It's okay to say, I, I'm struggling to believe this right now. I'm struggling to see this right now. But to lean then on the faith of your brothers and sisters. We don't know who all traveled with Paul, but my hope and belief is that when Paul said, take heart, because I believe God, that his brothers and sisters who, or, you know, brothers who might have been traveling with him, that they would take Paul's faith and they would kind of ride those coattails and say, okay, I'm with Paul because I know Paul believes God. So we need to be careful that when we do have strength of faith, that we don't let other people's lack of faith deter us. Because if he promises to do something, he will do it. And for those in ministry, he will... He will accomplish the things that he has said he will accomplish. So as they approach land, they feared then as, they, as they're going and they're approaching land, they feared that they would run on the rocks so the sailors try to escape. So this is where I'm saying, you know, before they're just like, no, no, no we're going to listen to our experts. But now they're in a hopeless situation so they don't really have anybody to listen to. Paul's, you know, crazy ramblings are just as legitimate as anybody else's, but they're still seizing control. Once they approach land, now they fear that they would run on the rocks and so the, tr- the sailors try to escape. And Paul tells the soldiers, the vision that's been given to him he says in verse 31 unless these men stay in the ship you cannot be saved now here's a point of decision and faith for the centurion and the soldiers right because they're in a situation where now they have to choose do we believe this guy or do we not because Paul is saying if they don't all stay in the boat then we're going to die and they demonstrate that they believe him in 32 then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go so that the sailors couldn't escape. And as, the day, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Imagine their situation right now. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So now they demonstrate that they believe him. And this happens sometimes in ministry where, you, where you're leading, you're, you're ministering to people and then there's this moment of like, okay, I trust you. They believe and they show that by cutting away the rope so no one can escape. They eat the food after they haven't eaten for 14 days trying to spread out their rations. They eat and then they toss the rest of it overboard to lighten the ship. They had come to believe and hope in what Paul already knew. That God was with them and he had already gone before them, that he was not surprised by any of this, and all of this was a part of his plan. So, for you, in your ministry, Jesus has already walked the road that God is asking you to walk. There are no new frontiers for God, no unknowns. There's this idea in missions about like frontier missions where we want to go to places where the gospel hasn't yet gone. And and I love that. And I'm all for that. But God has been there. God's already been there. God has already paved the way for the gospel. We've talked about stories before where missionaries have gone where they thought the gospel had never been, been only to find Christians there. And I just love, like, imagine, like, the feeling of nobody has ever known that the gospel went there. Like, nobody has any story. You think you're going on this frontier mission. Like, I'm going to declare the good news. And they're like, yeah, totally believe that already. Like, oh, okay. What am I doing here? There's just, like, humility that comes with realizing that God has already paved all those roads. It's happened like when I, when I went to plant a church in Colorado. It was this constant reminder of like the Holy Spirit gently often saying to me like, you think you're doing something new? Like you think we're, like, we're figuring this out together? We're not. I already know what's going to happen. And that should be comforting to us. He knows who is going to believe and who's not. He knows what he's going to do. And our confidence comes in knowing that he knows more than our ability or our strategies in the ministry. We see this in a great illustration when Moses passes the torch to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. It says, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Imagine having to follow Moses. Right? Like that makes following Aaron Rodgers seem really easy. Right? Like there was a whole thing when Brett Favre left the Packers. Like, how do you follow him? And I was, a, I was always a Broncos fan. And when John Elway left, everyone's was like, how are you going to follow John Elway? Like, well, secret, nobody ever has. We've always been terrible, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know Bears fans how are you ever gonna follow whoever might have been good in the past like whatever you just you never know like you're just sitting there and you're like man how does that like don't worry falls almost over I won't make any of those comments or jokes after that but like this idea like how am I going to do this and we often find that situation when we go into the ministry we are far more concerned about our abilities and how am I going to do this and maybe you come after somebody. I, I felt a lot of that with um, after following Pastor Dave, who was here for 20 years. And so everybody had all the things that they loved about Pastor Dave. And I would hear these stories, and I'm like, that is not me at all. Like, I'm just so not that. And just thinking, like, how am I going to do this? But this passage reminds us that it isn't about you. It wasn't about Joshua. It wasn't about Moses. It was about who was with them. So whatever ministry you are on, whether you're at the beginning of this path or you're finding yourself in the middle of it and you're feeling overwhelmed or if you're following the pattern, which most people do when you start to give your lives over to the sake of the gospel and you find yourself discouraged and wondering what have I gotten myself into? Is there like an exit path out of this? Remember, it is not about you. It is about who is with you. Whatever ministry God is calling to you, you to, whether it is caring for a family or sharing the gospel in your workplace or discipling your children, it is the Lord who goes before you. Do you believe? If you do, then be strong and courageous because he is with you and he is faithful. So God goes before you. Another thing we see in this is that God protects Paul and God protects you. In chapter 27, verses 39 through 44, they eventually run aground, and the ship is being broken up. They, they try to find this beach, and and, but the ship is being torn up. And as they realize that, and they realize, we're not going to make it, verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Which would include Paul. It's a nice thank you for how, what he'd done so far. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land, just as Paul had said. In the beginning of chapter 28, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. See all the different ways that God is protecting them. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Friendly. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Let's put a pin in that one. We'll come back to that. But God protects Paul on his path. He protects him in the actual shipwreck. He protects him from the soldiers who plan to kill him. He protects him from the native people who would normally not be so enthusiastic about all these strangers crashing on their island. And he protects him from the venomous snake. And this is nothing new for Paul. Think about all the times that God has protected him on this path. And he will protect you. I'm going to say some things that are going to feel like, ugh. Nothing can harm you unless God says so. You won't get fired unless God says so. You won't get sick unless God says so. Not a hair on your head will be harmed unless God says so. Now, that's always a difficult theological thing to grasp, and we don't have time to unpack all that. I would say this, remember that a sermon is for a large group of people. If there are things that you are wondering, yeah, but please talk to us. Please, like on the communication card, and be like I have, I have a question. I need some help in understanding that because I, 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 need to, I need to investigate that a little bit more. I'm happy to do that. We are happy to do that. But the reality is that nothing happens without God say-so, without his allowance, without his permissive will. And that may seem hard to grasp, but let me ask you, in the midst of hard roads, which is more comforting? To believe that the God who created you and knows you and loves you and demonstrated his love for you and that he sent his son to die for you That the path you are on is from Him and that He will not let you be destroyed and that it is going to be used to grow you and to to increase your joy and to increase abundant life, not only for now but all eternity. Would you rather believe that? Or do you find more comfort in believing that it is from an evil power who seeks to destroy you and God is helpless to stop that? In my life, those hardest roads, especially in ministry, I have been so thankful that God has rooted me in the understanding that he is the one that I should go to with all this. That he is the one who has me here. And though he does not do evil to me and that the evil one still wreaks havoc and is very much alive and battling and fighting and seeks to destroy and causes all kinds of grief and horror, the reality is is that Satan is a barking dog on a leash. He cannot go any further. He cannot go one step further than what God allows him to go. This is hard for our human minds to grasp, and all kinds of questions pop in our head. But where I've been comforted in that is to say this is the God who said, "Rather than destroy me and abandon me for all eternity," that he became flesh and lived the life that I could not live and die the death that I deserved and raise again to defeat sin and death for me now and for all eternity. And for that God, I'm going to say, okay, I don't understand this yet, but I'm going to walk with you. I mean, think about Paul's situation. Paul could have said, clearly Paul believes this because he could have said, God, what in the world is going on? I've been doing all of this for you and now I've been arrested and then I'm used for entertainment for a couple of years. They just summon me whenever. Then you put me on this ship. You tell me what's going to happen and so I tell them but they don't listen to me. I almost starve. I have to survive a a shipwreck, escape being killed by soldiers, run aground on this island and now a snake bit me. If anybody's going to ask the question, why me? It's going to be Paul. Instead, Paul is at peace. I love the. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it says the snake fastened on his head and is hanging there, which means that, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if a viper jumps out and bites me on the hand, I'm going to freak out. All right, just, just let your mind go for a second. Like, what, the, what are the hand motions? What's the octave level of your voice? Like, what's going on in that moment? And yet Paul seems to just be hanging out. Why? Because he knows he won't die in the shipwreck or at the hands of the soldiers or from the snake. Why? Because God has already told him that he will appear before Caesar and he believes him. So you can look at your life and think, why have all these things happened to me? Or you can think, wow, look how God has been with me and protected me through all of this to bring me to this point, to be sitting here. Right now, Paul is not surprised. He knows God is with him and he sees him working. He's already been arrested, freed, healed, protected from the mobs. He believes that God will protect him until it is his time and then he will enter glory, which, by the way, he says is a fate that is far better. And this is what Paul knows. He knows this is the road of ministry but he knows that God will protect him. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul describes their ministry in the face of difficulties and trials this way. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. If you've been in ministry, you've been sent, then you can relate to these words. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed. like Wondering, God, why? I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing right now. I really don't but not driven to despair. I will hope. Persecuted. You feel like people are against you, but know that God is not against you, not forsaken. He is with you. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, the promise isn't that while you're ministering to others that they will love you or that they will receive that, The promise is that he will never forsake you. That he's enough. The promise isn't that you won't get cancer. It is that cancer will not separate you from God. It will not do anything to foil God's plan for you, for your life. The promise isn't that we won't face persecution in this country or in the world. It is that persecution will not destroy the church. and will actually cause it to flourish. The promise isn't that the road will be easy. It is that he will be with you. The promise isn't that you won't get hurt, but that God won't waste any of those hurts in preparing you to experience the most abundant life and the most joy for all eternity. That is the protection that God gives us. And he promises that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God prepares, he protects, and then he does miracles through Paul. And, and first, just the, that aside, that awesome verse that they they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. So he gets bit by this viper, and everyone's watching. And what's so amazing about that is that the islanders, if you look at how they viewed Paul, paul they went from, they thought he was a nice guy, they treated them kindly, and like, hey, let's care for these people, let's start a fire, let's do all that. So they're worthy of, of saving them. Then, they're like, oh, he got bit by a viper, he must be a murderer. And then, he doesn't die, they're all waiting, they're waiting and watching is he going to he die? He's not dying. Oh, he must be a god. That's a pretty broad spectrum, don't you think? Like, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through that. I've never gone through that much of a change in what people see me as. Like, hey, nice guy, murderer, god. All right? But that's not just them. This is what's happening to Paul everywhere. They generally liked Paul. But the crew discounted him, and then they believed him. They were encouraged by him and then they tried to kill him. The Jews were that way to Paul. The Gentiles were that way to Paul. Guess what? That's the road of ministry. If you follow Jesus, you will draw all of these types of responses from apathy to anger to excitement and sometimes within the same conversation. And my encouragement to you is the encouragement my mother-in-law gave me in raising children. She said... don't don't ride the roller coaster with them. Like, don't even buy a ticket. Just hang out and wait. As they kind of do this, you just hang out. And that's been really helpful in ministry. We've had people here who have said to me, thank you, after a hard sermon, thank you for saying hard things. And then the next week, leave, because I said hard things to them. I've had people say, thank you for, getting rid of this or allowing this program to die and then be angry that we let this other one die. People, if you're in ministry and if you're serving people and loving people and sharing the gospel with people, like one day it'll be great and the next day you'll be their enemy. People will, I mean, I'm just going to say something really hard. If you want to be in ministry, which all of us are called to be, people will love you as long as you are doing what they think is best. And they will think not so great things about you when you are doing what they think is bad. And the common denominator is what they think. But we live and minister for God. Because we believe the best way to love people is to submit to God. And we then make mistakes also. So even as you're ministering and serving people, you will also find like, oh, that was not what I should have done and that didn't work out so well and whatever the case is. But we put our hope and our trust in God. I feel this way all the time in parenting, reminding myself, I parent in the eyes of God, not to control my children, not that they will turn out in a particular way, but to be faithful to God. And that is a road marked with all kinds of doubt and suffering and questioning. And all ministry is like that. So God performs these miracles through Paul now. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place where lands, where lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, Pu- Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So this guy ends up being like his father is laying sick and, and Paul prays for him and heals him. In verse 9, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Okay, so the first two were painful. God goes before you. So even though you're on this hard road, he has already gone before you. It it builds confidence and faith and trust in him, but it's still because of hard things. God protects you. He needs to protect you because there are hard things. That is hard. But we have to also remember that in ministry that we are called to do, God does amazing things. He performs miracles. He changes lives. And it's worth it. And Paul is doing this ministry in power, right? Like he's healed people. He's been doing this his entire ministry. As all these things have happened, as he's reminded himself that God is with him and God protects him, he's also seen people healed. He's seen earthquakes open up jail cells. He's seen a dead man brought back to life. He's had an angel of the Lord speak to him. And of course, he came face to face with the ascended Lord Jesus. He's seen countless people come to faith in Christ and he's seen their lives change. Ministry is not just about perseverance and fighting the good fight. It is about power and seeing God do miracles. We see it every week here. God has a plan for the ministry that he is doing through you. And believe me, it is not a plan to do things that could be explained away by human abilities. And it is not a plan that would not bear any fruit. He's doing something through you where you are he's changing lives. And I just want to encourage you as you are doing that to expect that and ask him to do it. Whatever ministry path he has you on, do you want to see him move in power? Do you want to see him save people? Do you want to see him heal people? If so, then ask him. It is so tempting when we do ministry to do ministry in a way that we can control and that we can determine and that we that we can assess in our own strength. But don't do that. That isn't faith. Faith is asking God to do bigger and better things than we could possibly do on our own. And only He can do those things, and He will do those things. So be encouraged and be excited. Not only is he going to go not only has he gone before you and he's protected you, but he will perform miracles through you, and he will also minister to you. It's so the last thing, is that God ministers to Paul through the church. So he finally reach Rome, and look what happens. Verse 14, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. I just love that at the the, the book ends of this whole journey for Paul on the journey to Rome, verse three, he is comforted and ministered to by the brothers. And now at the end, he's comforted and ministered to by the brothers. I would imply brothers and sisters by the church body. This is a gift. Church, we are a gift to one another. That as we say, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to a ministry, but you are not called to that ministry alone. You are called with a family, with your brothers and sisters sitting around you. You should be encouraged by the people you are ministering to, the people you are ministering with, and the people who are ministering to you. We live in a culture that once easy. And even when we do that with ministry, we think like, okay, well, once I can deal with the ministry being difficult, we aren't willing to share that in community because community is one of those things that does not come easily. Listen, my aim here in this church is not that you would do all the things. What I want is for us to be God's family on mission. That's the most important thing. I want you to experience family. I want each of you in this story here that while you are on a hard road that you would experience family. We have one of our missionaries sitting right over here who is family to us. And a lot of you don't even know Lori. But you might, but you need to know that she's our family and she's leaving today for Ecuador. Sorry? Next week for Ecuador. Her husband's already in Haiti. And so we love them, and they're a part of our family. But family doesn't come easily. Family doesn't get, it doesn't happen conveniently. It doesn't happen like just on our own schedule. It has to be something that we invest in that takes energy, that takes effort, that takes time. And over the years, I've seen so many people who were doing great ministry fall away because they were isolated because they thought that they could do it themselves, that they treated the church as the place that they just came into every once in a while to just kind of get filled up and then go back out on their own. That's not what we were designed to do. We were designed to be there together. I've seen many people who thought they had plenty of community until tragedy hit and they realized that they didn't have it. Or many people who were too busy for community until they really needed it, and then it was too late. It is difficult to invest in that kind of community. But let me tell you that without that, we don't last. Church, do you realize, like, I, I've been here now over seven years. I would not have lasted without the encouragement that has come from you. I wouldn't. And there are many weeks where I didn't think I would last And I shared with someone this week that what got me through that, what got me through a really dark season, was that as I was preparing sermons, I would picture each one of you. I would picture you and I would think, that's why I'm doing this. I'm getting up there. I'm gonna be encouraged, and I would hear your stories, and I would hear what you're doing, and I would think, man, if you're gonna keep going in your workplace, if you're gonna walk in on that factory floor day after day after day and be a light in the midst of there, then I'm gonna prepare the sermon, and I'm gonna go preach my guts out because you're willing to do that. I'm gonna do that. That's an encouragement. That's how we're supposed to be to one another. You're supposed to look across when you're sitting here and going, I don't think I can do this anymore. That you look and you see your brothers and sisters who are also in that fight with you, that are also there with you, and you can say, all right, you're doing it, I can do it. And that we're both encouraged because we know that it's because of God that we're doing anything. So I just want to encourage you to to buy in. And let me just be really practical. We only have two ways to do that here. That's it. We have all kinds of things going on, but there's only two ways. If you want to be in community, then there are two things to do. One is to fill out a communication card. Fill out a communication card and let us get to know you so we can connect you with other people that you can walk with. And the other is come to Area Lunch and just be there. Take the time and invest in it and be there. We don't Do a lot of things that we want you to choose from because we don't want you to connect with programs. And in my experience, we want you to connect with people. And in my experience, a bunch of choices just guarantees no depth of community will develop. People have forever avoided community by bouncing around from thing to thing. If we went around the room right now, my guess is that if you've been in the church for very long, you have had the experience of like, yeah, I tried that thing, I tried that class, I tried that ministry, I tried that small group. It just wasn't quite a fit. I get that. It's our culture. It's kind of ingrained in us. But let me ask you something. If I came up to you today and said, you know what? I've really given a good effort with my kids. It's just not really working out. Can I try having your kids for a few weeks? Let's just swap. Sure, Sure. yeah. (laughs) The quicker you are to answer that, the less I'm going to come to you. Less chance I'm coming to you. (laughs) Right? But that would be ridiculous because you'd say like, well, it's not, what do you mean a right fit? Like, yeah, we're just not jiving on everything. Like, For crying out loud, like, love your kids. And I get it that church is not, like, it's, but let me say this, it's, church is more like that than it's not like that. It's more like that than it is like a supper club, right? So when we do that, we've got to understand that, hey, part of this community or family is just saying, I'm just in it with you. And I'm just going to be with you. And I'm going to share a meal with you and I'm going to hang out with you. I'm just going to be there with you. I'm going to have this conversation with you every week. And, and I'm just going to grow in my love for you. And we're going we're to be family. So that's it. I'm done. Listen, if we're going to be faithful as a church to what God is doing here, then we must take heart and be encouraged. And believe that wherever God has called you, He has already been there. Whatever happens around you, he will protect you. He will work in power through you and he will do it with us together. And that should give you courage to do hard things, to go in difficult places and to invest in this family. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us and that you take care of us. Thank you, God, that you have gone before us Thank you, God, for all that you have done here over the years, over 47 years that you have loved this church. God, how you have worked through all kinds of brokenness. Brokenness in us, around us, through us, things that we lose focus and all these different things, God, and you still work and you still change lives. You still are with us. You still protect us. And somehow you've gotten us to this place right here in this moment. And Lord, I pray that for those who know you and are called according to your purpose, that they would look and they would see the ministry that you have set before them. And whether it seems big or seems small, that they would realize that is all big in the kingdom. Small things are big things in the kingdom. And that our faithfulness to you and the playing out of those ministries is what you desire. God, remind us that you are with us, that you've gone before us, that you protect us, that you do miraculous things through us, not because of us, but because of you and who you are, and that you don't have us do it alone. Remind us of these glorious truths and let us hold tight to you. In Jesus' name, amen.